Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. I've known this in the back of my mind, but it just came to life living out here with what we call traditional tribal peoples. And then you go to scripture and you think, surprise, surprise, the whole history of the Old Testament are nomadic people, tribal people with different clans, different practices. And all of that sort of comes to life living on a reservation. The word and the images for God in Salish is Kolin Sutin, which means the one who sits on top of a mountain, just like our texts talk about all the time. The Bible is from a tribal world with a spirituality that is as old as the people that I'm living with. And we completely forget that. And we think of this Roman Greco society that's a democracy, but the Bible looks a lot like tribal people. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media, and also associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York City. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we're joined by Victor Cancino. Victor is a Jesuit of the West Province of the Jesuits here in the United States, and he lives on the Flathead Indian Reservation, where he serves as pastor-in-residence for St. Ignatius Mission in Western Montana. You may be familiar with his voice already because you would have heard it on our very first episode this Advent season. If you haven't heard that, this is a good opportunity to listen to that episode that really prepares us for the Advent season. Victor, welcome back to Preach. Hi, Ricardo. It's good to be back a second time. I'm getting used to this. (laughs) Well, we love to have you. Victor, you also are part of the America family. You write the weekly column reflecting on the Sunday scriptures, The Word, which is released on our website and in our magazine each month. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about that experience, how it's been for you to reflect on the scriptures week to week. Yeah, it's been a privilege. It's a daunting task. It's a three-year commitment to go through the three-year cycle of the liturgical calendar, years A, B, and C. And just like parish life, it never stops. There is no break. You can talk about summers or different seasons, or now we're moving into Advent, but the church rhythm sort of just keeps on moving forward in different ways, but it goes. And writing for the weekly column is just like that. It's week after week. And quite frankly, I haven't been able to catch up. I wish I could be two weeks ahead or three weeks ahead, but I'm sort of hitting the mark week after week. And it's quite taxing, but it's a rewarding experience because I spend so much time with the text that will be read on Sunday. And one of my main jobs is to preach the homily 
and to be a pastor and to speak to my congregation. And in that sense, it's quite enriching. Yeah, I mean, I think our preachers can really relate to that, right? They're preparing week after week. They're in the grind. It's the same for me and the same for this show. Week after week, we reflect on the scriptures. What do you do to get away from it all and find your head? Well, I live in Montana, in western Montana, and you just get out and you walk through traditional campsites where Lewis and Clark camped out in the early 1800s, and you walk through rivers and valleys and mountains, and it really kind of just helps you to breathe and clear your head. You know, I'm not sure, I want to say Tony Hawk, but I don't think it's him, but a professional skateboarder designed this skate park right where I live that used to be property of the mission. And now we sold that and belongs to the city. And they designed a wonderful skate park. And I used to skate back in high school and in junior high. And then when I had my first midlife crisis, I bought a skateboard because I couldn't afford a Porsche or anything else being a Jesuit. But I rarely actually ride my skateboard because I'm afraid to break my leg at 40 years old. So skating right along, tell me about the readings that you're going to be preaching on for us. I've chosen to focus mainly on this invitation that Isaiah brings. So I'm I'm really preaching from the first reading, from Isaiah chapter 40, which begins what we call Second Isaiah. And this message is repeated in the gospel, but taken from a different context. And I'm going to hint a little bit on the psalm too. And who are you preaching for? I'm preaching for my own congregation, but also congregations where there's families that might have experienced or have experienced with what we call generational trauma. And so a lot of history of abuse, of neglect, of broken relationships, and how you move forward from that experience. Hmm. Tell me about St. Ignatius' mission. St. Ignatius' mission is on the Flathead Indian Reservation in Western Montana. And the main tribes that are composed here are the Salish, the Pandure, and the Kootenai people. And then there's different tribes from different areas farther away that are welcomed onto the reservation or have made a life here to study or to live. And what's interesting is that they are a minority on their own reservation. So the tribal people make up about 20% of the total population of the reservation. And so everyone else, they're non-tribal people. There could be farmers, rural Americana, some professionals. And so what you have is really an array of people living with different jurisdictions and in a very layered sort of micro-society that has a complicated history. I think when we look deeply, every congregation has a complicated history, but I'm especially looking forward to hearing about this aspect around generational trauma and how that connects with your experience in Western Montana. We will now hear Victor Cancino preach for the second Sunday in Advent, Year B, especially recorded for Preach. Recently, my life coach slash therapist gave me great advice. What? You didn't think priests need to see a therapist or a life coach from time to time? Trust me, when you work with a congregation like this one before me, you'll be in therapy the first week on the job. I'll bet money on it. 
I'm just playing with you. But the truth is, growing up in the Cancino Maltese household, like my own, provided me with two gifts. First, the gift of a loving, supporting family. And second, years of therapy afterwards because of that loving, supporting family. But going back to what my coach, therapist, his advice to me, he said that life is a conversation. And the more I think about that, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Both Isaiah and the Gospel of Mark today have a brilliant idea. They suggest that one is to go into the desert, this place of wilderness and uncertainty, and to have an honest conversation with yourself. In other words, go discover what is true in your life right now and what has become false, especially in terms of relationships. We have a name for this kind of conversation based on honesty with God. It's called prayer. It's as simple as that. Learning to live in healthy relationships is hard for some of us who grew up in what has been called generational trauma. This reality of brokenness along generational lines is a big topic within reservations like the one that we live in. But it also affects so many families more and more in a society that does not value slowing down to look at the condition of our hearts. If Advent is anything, it is a time to slow down and get back to the journey of the heart, back to this conversation, an honest one, to ask ourselves what is true in my life, but also what has become false in my life. On the second Sunday of Advent, how quickly we are already moving through this time of self-honesty in prayer preparation, anticipation. On week two, the readings invite us to ask a simple question. Are you finding the peace you need and not the one you want? Do you know how to tell the difference between needs and wants? The people of God from the Bible in today's readings have found the peace they want, living in Babylon, but they haven't found the peace they need and are being invited into. The words from Isaiah repeated in the gospel today bring encouragement to people invited to rebuild their community, again after so much trauma. Isaiah, in chapter 40, is known as Second Isaiah because the theme shifts to focus on what is called the Second Great Exodus back to Jerusalem, the city of peace. Regardless of what we see in the news and on our television today, it is called the great city of peace within our biblical imagination. The first exodus is when the Hebrew people left Egypt, leaving Pharaoh behind and began their march, their wandering through the desert to a land where they could live true to their faith and culture. But in a different generation of Hebrew families, the people that Isaiah writes to in our first reading today have lived in exile for several decades in the land of the Chaldeans, which is modern-day Iraq and biblical Babylon. And you know what? Life is rather comfortable in Babylon. It's pretty good. 
to stretch our imagination a little bit, the schools are great. The buses show up on time. There's plenty of food and work for everyone. Why on earth would I want to go back to Zion or back to the land of Israel? Isaiah knows, however, that the beliefs, the gods, the many idols, and the values found in Babylon are false for the people of the covenant, the people who are in constant conversation with the God of Israel. The only thing the Hebrew people have to do or need to do is look into their hearts to remember what is true, their faith in the one God and the temple where the God of Israel lives in Jerusalem. Isaiah is basically saying it is time to go back home, literally to another place. Leave your comforts behind to rediscover another comfort, more honest and truer to who you were always called to be in the first place. This call to come back home is also symbolic for these ancient people as it is for us. Come to a place in your life where you carry around a greater sense of hopefulness, where your faith is lived out from deep within your bones, becoming living stones from a living, intervening God. In this sense, the opening lines from the first reading today are soothing and also challenging. Comfort, give comfort to my people, says your God. Speak softly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her guilt and any wrongdoing is forgiven. Indeed, she has received double the punishment for all her sins. Her time to grieve is finished. In my own words, it's like saying that your trauma has been seen, and now it's time to do the work of healing. Prepare the path in the desert and go. Now, does this sound like a good deal to you? Probably not for a lot of us. The desert can seem like a desolate place, a lonely space. But this same desert in Isaiah becomes the flowering desert where hope is found again. It's a place and space, just like Advent is a space, where you can do the work of healing, where you can journey to those true places in your heart and walk away from the false ones. It's the space where the words from today's psalm begin to make sense in the context of brokenness and healing, where kindness and truth shall meet, justice and peace shall kiss. Where our brokenness and tendency to hurt each other in our relationships is softened by kindness and truth. This is an entirely different kind of peace from the one offered in Babylon. We can end this reflection with the final question. Do you live daily with a sense of hopefulness or do you tend to carry around despair? If you're not sure, then you definitely need to venture into this desert. I think you'll have a conversation there with John the Baptist. I think you'll meet Jesus there who comes not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit ready to heal, ready to forgive. Finally, as my therapist said, if life is indeed a conversation, and if conversation is a kind of prayer, then life is really just a prayer. The desert space is a good place to go and have this conversation.
my suggestion and my encouragement for all of you is to keep on adventing. Keep being honest with yourself and with God. A voice does indeed cry out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. That was Victor Cancino for Preach. When we come back, Victor shares how his own tribal community has helped him find fresh meaning from the scriptures and respond to generational trauma. Welcome back to Preach. Before we continue our conversation, a word from our sponsor. Boston College School of Theology and Ministry recently announced a new certificate program, Courage to Preach. The program starts summer 2024 and is designed to equip ministers, particularly campus ministers and parish ministers, to better integrate the riches of our faith with the crucial challenges of our time. Throughout the program, participants will learn to utilize scripture and Catholic social teaching to preach on contemporary issues such as racial and environmental justice. The program will engage diverse audiences in dynamic methods for preaching, teaching, and facilitating faith and justice activities, particularly attuned to the techniques most effective for reaching young adults. This hybrid program takes place in person at Boston College over two summers and online for one module during the winter in between. To learn more, visit bc.edu forward slash preach today. Victor, in your homily, you said that those words, comfort my people, are both healing and a challenge. Why did you choose to play with that? You know, when you do the work of exegesis, you always have the historical context in the back of your mind when you read Isaiah, because it's so fundamental. Again, this is second Isaiah. It's the second Exodus, right? This is the call back from the exiles who are living in Babylon. Maybe it's time to go back to the Holy Land. Now, you also have to remember that Isaiah is the poet. He's the Shakespeare of the entire Bible. And so by definition of, of what poets do, they literally play with words before anything. There's a playfulness in writing the text, especially in your Hebrew language. And so when you study Isaiah and when you sit with him, you know the historical context, you know that he's playing with the words, and you know he's really brilliant in what he's doing. Fair is foul and foul is fair. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so comfort Isaiah, Isaiah is telling them, you're going to find your comfort by leaving a very comfortable place where you're at right now. And so that's what I wanted to sort of tease out, is sort of to shake everyone up. Even if you are comfortable, Isaiah is speaking to you. And if you're not, Isaiah is also speaking to you. Okay, I'm going to push you. I mean, fine and well for you as a scripture scholar to say that, right? Oh, just look at the Hebrew, just look at the Greek, just change it up, you know, see what it's saying. I'm not a scripture scholar. Many of our preachers are not scripture scholars. How can they get these nuggets? What are the resources before us? Are there strategies for reading the texts for preachers who aren't scripture scholars? I think the strategy, and other people on your show have said the same thing, is to spend time with the text. But this is enjoying literature or enjoying the text for what it is. It's spending time with the text, with the story. A clear example 
is the book of Jonah, right? If you're not laughing, if you're not enjoying the story, if you're not just like having fun with it, you're reading it the wrong way. And you do not have to be a scripture scholar or a great historian to get there. You just have to cultivate the practice of reading more and knowing the different genres that you're reading. So if I'm reading Jonah, I know I'm reading comedy and a parable, right? If I'm reading Isaiah, I know I'm dealing with a serious poet who has something to say. Okay, I can deal with that because we certainly learned about scriptural genres in theology. So at least that much I can remember. Thinking about this idea, though, of challenging preaching, you're in a community that is faced with challenges, right? Especially native peoples facing generational trauma, facing racism, tribalism, I presume. I mean, any number of isms that we talk about. How has your preaching been affected by the reality of your people? I think I began the realization of all this trauma and generational trauma with my own story, with my own history, and starting to do the work of healing back in 2019 with my own family upbringing and things that I was dealing with and seeing different therapists. And when I speak with people and parishioners, I've noticed a pattern over and over again, that people come with pain and with brokenness, and it's very, very real, something I can identify with. But what I've learned from the pastoral side, and maybe from my training and from my own prayer life, is that grace is also very real. And so now here you have these two realities that demand your attention, the pain that people have and the grace that is working if you choose to see it or to go there. Both are difficult. And I think you go back and forth. When I come to a place like Montana on a reservation, they're well aware of their own reality and their own history and where, say, for example, Native people are trying to get to a resurgence of their culture and their own spirituality. And so it's a place of healing. The pain is very real and the brokenness is also very real. So everyone is aware of the situation and it's all heightened because it's a small place. Everybody knows each other. And the history is something that escapes no one. We're constantly thinking about the history of the tribes here, boarding schools, outside influence, and where people want to go forward. My job isn't to change anything, to save someone, to create a program. My job is to be a space here on the reservation with our church that has a space for healing, for recognition, for spirituality and prayer. I don't think we've heard that on this show yet, that we have to look at our own trauma, our own pain, our own history, maybe do our own work of therapy. I certainly know that for myself, therapy was a crucial stage in my own formation. We are so busy dissecting the text or thinking about how we can say something differently. And actually what you're saying is the work that we need to do is internal work, right? So how have you seen that work bear fruit in your preaching and in your pastoral relationships? Yeah, so doing your own work, I've noticed in my own process of preaching, and I see this uh, with other Jesuits who are around me when they do it or when they don't do it, I think there's this journey that I see. And one is you can stay in your head 
and you can fall back on your brilliance or on your education or on whatever is creative in your head and you can speak from that place. People also can move right to their mouth and their speech. So many people have the gift of gab and you can just use words or you can tell stories, right? But people can tell and it kind of exposes it itself. I think the final journey of moving to speaking from your heart, when you get to that place of your heart, there is an honesty there. It comes from prayer, from reflection, from doing the work of healing, especially if you need to do that. That's the work of a preacher too, is get to your heart. You still have to do all the work. You have to do the exegesis. You have to write a draft or two. But the final outcome should come from your heart and not from your expose of a text. Or your expose of your life, right? I mean, so I think there's there's that challenge. You want to get into the text. You also want to be honest and you want to speak from the heart. But this isn't about you. So how do we strike that balance as preachers? No, you're right. And I think you always have to find that balance. If you get lost, you lean to the text. You have to think about the context. The context is liturgy. The context is the Eucharist and the Word of God. So when you're drafting and redrafting, editing, thinking about this, and you want to balance that, you lean into the text and you go back there. But, you know, just to push back a little bit, I remember back in theology, there was something that blew my mind about preaching or about the homily. And it was this article from the bishops' conference back in the 70s or in the 80s. And they said, what is the primary question or the starting point for your homily and for your reflection? And you would guess, oh, well, it's the scriptures right before you. And that wasn't the first place you begin. What are the questions of your congregation? What are they thinking? What questions do the people in front of you have? That's your starting point for a homily. And so you have to find that balance. It's actually not all scripture. It's the living word, which is right in front of you. It's, it's people. Yeah, I mean, revelation. <laughs> that which is in front of us reveals God to us. What are your people revealing to you? You know, what are the questions that they bring? So my people are looking for, I think, a space, a safe space. Safe spaces with families and with people who have dealt with trauma are rare places. And when you find them, I think you gravitate towards there. And it's a place to breathe and to reflect, maybe to do the work of healing. So what my people reveal to me is the need to cultivate safe spaces where you can pray, you can think, you can heal, and you can appreciate the beauty of the liturgy. Going a little deeper into this idea of safe space, the church has, for its part, created much generational trauma too. And so the reading of scriptures needs to be informed by the trauma uh, of the people who read the sacred texts. How has your community inspired you to read the scriptures in a new way from that lens of their own trauma? That's a great question. I've known this in the back of my mind, but it just came to life living out here with what we call traditional tribal peoples. And then you go to scripture and you think, surprise, surprise, the whole history of the Old Testament are tribal people. And we completely forget that, or we might whitewash that whole aspect. It's nomadic people, tribal people with customs, different clans, different practices. And all of that sort of comes to life 
living on a reservation. This really came home to me once when I was on a retreat with the indigenous community, with the Kateri group in Spokane, Washington. And we worked on the transfiguration scene in the Gospels. And there it just came to light. You know, they go up a mountain, they have a vision, and then there's a moment of healing touch for the disciples who are in ecstasy and terrified. And all of that all of a sudden made sense within a tribal context. The word and the images for God in Salish is kolen sutin, which means the one who sits on top of a mountain, just like our texts talk about all the time. The sacred places are mountains around here. And the work of indigenous spirituality is to go on a vision quest and to experience the divine. And this is what the transfiguration scene is. And then it's a moment of healing, healing for the disciples who are overwhelmed by this whole experience. That sort of unlocked a whole world that the Bible is from a tribal world with the spirituality that is as old as the people that I'm living with. And we completely forget that. And we think of this Roman Greco society that's sort of a democracy that looks like us, but the Bible looks a lot like tribal people. Hmm. And you wouldn't have known that had you not been exposed to the community that you're in. But also, I think, even exposed to that reality, it comes back to what we started with. You have to be free within yourself and open within yourself to understand that your own reading of Scripture can shift depending on the communities around you, depending on your own life, right? We can't be rigid as preachers that the Scriptures can only be interpreted in this way. It has to be a living thing. As preachers, how do you think we can grow with the Scriptures and with our life experience and the experiences of our communities? I like the way you say that, where how does it become a living reality versus having one interpretation or one understanding of how you read the text. This is something that professors always tell their students in scripture classes or in theology classes sometimes based on the text that we find in the Bible. It always comes around to you study a text for a long period of time. You might take a class or years or you might know the story. But once you get into it, you go back to the text And you see it again, it's the same story, nothing has changed, only your understanding of how you see the world and the text has changed. And as you change, you can see a different story that is shifting because you're shifting. As you're talking to me about listening to the experiences of your people and allowing that to infuse the way we read the scriptures, you spoke about safe space earlier on. In my own community at St. Francis Xavier, we've been talking a lot about brave space. And part of brave space is vulnerability, being in community vulnerable to others, sensitive to the needs of others, but also sensitive to our own needs. And I wonder if we can think about the preaching that we do each Sunday may be emanating from brave space, the space of vulnerability. I think a lot of preachers are afraid to go there. And so you mask that. Vulnerability is a place that exposes you. Personally, for me, it's easier to talk in front of a thousand people or a hundred people and expose myself than it is to do it in front of one or two people. That's a harder place for me to be. But I think doing the work of looking at your own life and your own process allows you to be vulnerable and you give the freedom to people listening to you to practice the same thing. 
The other part of Brave Space is leaning into fear. And I think that what you've done now where you've said to us, well, you know, there's a way of reading the scriptures that isn't the way that I've read them growing up, that isn't my whole life experience, but that is the experience of the people now. And I think if we're able to do that as preachers, if we're able to lean into sometimes the fear of letting go of what we thought was so sacred about the scriptures, to open ourselves to new interpretations, we'll be in a new space for preaching. I completely agree with you. I think the key there, and I've learned this in the editing process, is that if you spend time with the text and you edit and you re-edit and you keep on working on these drafts, if you have enough preparation and you spent time with the text, I think by the time you're ready to preach on Sunday, you can almost let go of it. And you might even go in a different direction or change what you wanted to say because it's the living word, because it's real, because you had an interaction that morning or some or something shifted with the psalm that you heard sung rather than read. And that's where we all need to get to, is this freedom to move in different directions. If you're stuck on just what you want to say from one interpretation that you studied and you learned, you're just stuck there. There's no growth. Well, before we start going in a new direction, in a different direction, I want to thank you for the time that we have spent together. It's been rich. I loved the conversation we had in the panel. It was wonderful to have you on Preach. I'm sure we'll have you back. Thank you, Victor. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Kevin Christopher Robles and Michael O'Brien offered production assistance. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer and designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. The link's in the show notes. You can also follow me on X and Instagram at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps to advance our show. Did you know that America Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're in your inbox waiting for you. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. The link is in the show notes. For America Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. 
Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.